Hey, good morning, y'all. <clears throat> that last song, dude, oh my gosh, The King of Kings, that song, Stephen and Melody and I were talking about that this week, and we're, you know, it's not a random thing, the, the songs that, that, uh, that he ultimately, that he decides, or really that the Lord decides, impresses on Stephen on what we do, and it is like that song I don't care what the message is. It's like that song is so perfect because all it does is talk about the Lord over and over and over and over. It's just awesome. Y'all clap or scream amen or something to the King of Kings. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So as we get started this morning, I've got two little announcements. Um, well, maybe, maybe three. One is we will have God Plunge, and if you're new to Church on the Trail, if you're watching online, or if you're new in here, God Plunge is what we call baptism, biblical baptism, believer's baptism, because baptism follows salvation. It is not salvific, doesn't cause salvation, it follows salvation. So we will, we will begin doing that on September the 6th, and if you're interested, if you have been saved since the last time that we did baptism and you haven't been baptized, you haven't taken that plunge, please let us know. You know, you can talk to me. You can email info at churchonthetrail.org. You can email uh, godplunge at churchonthetrail.org. Uh, I also want to let you know right after church today, we're having a prayer walk. Uh, we're going to go over to Midland Middle School, and we're going to pray around that school, and we're going to pray for the faculty, and we're going to play, pray for the staff, and we're going to play, pray for all the kids uh, that will be going at some point in the next four or five weeks, six weeks, uh, going back to school there. And so we're going to meet uh, right out in, this, in, in front here shortly right after church. I want to also tell you this, and if you're watching online um, and you didn't know this, and the only way you would know it is if you were out there in a little prayer circle that we had, which we do, y'all, every Sunday before, before church, the whole team... The production crew, the, the worship team, all the volunteers, we circle up and we pray. And we pray for y'all and we pray for the people that are watching online. This stuff is bathed in prayer. And so, in one, and so I said this when we were out there, and this is what I said. The kids and tots ministries will begin back on September 13th. And so we feel it, but and we're gonna, it's going to be done right. It's going to be done as safely as we can do it. You just need to know that. But more to come, you'll get email um, from some of us in the next week or, or 10 days or so about that. So here's um, what we're going to do today. We are going to take a, a one-week little detour from Romans. We've been walking through Romans, and we're going to back off of Romans for today, and then we'll jump back onto Romans uh, next week. And we're make, taking this little detour because of a change, a couple of changes, I guess, that we are making in the way that we do things here at Church on the Trail. I want us to do a couple of things today. I'm going to roll this out to you, but I want to do a couple of things. I want to convey to y'all, and you're watching online the same thing, I want to convey the, the what, the what it is that we're doing, what it is that we're changing, uh, and then I want to lay out the why. And there may be, there's really kind of some multiple whys, but in other words, I want to lay out what God's Word says about what we're going to be doing really from now till Jesus comes back. But I want, to, I want us to always be looking at what the Scripture says. What does the Bible tell us? What does the Lord tell us about the way that we should live and the way that we should do, do things um, under the umbrella of the church? 
And so I want to start off with the wise. I want to start off with the wise, and we're going to look at the end of the Gospel of Matthew uh, just on the heels of Jesus' resurrection. And for Matthew, in Matthew's Gospel, first book of the New Testament, for Matthew's uh, uh, Gospel, for Matthew's resurrection narrative, where Matthew writes about Christ's resurrection, is pretty brief. And I believe it's pretty brief because Matthew wants to really get to the, the, um, the final application of the gospel message. It culminates in how we apply this resurrection of Jesus to, to our lives. So it's Matthew chapter 28, and it's going to start in verse 18. And so I hope you all have worship guides. If not, let us know. We'll get one in your hands. And so verse 18 says, and Jesus, and now this is the risen Jesus, it's on the other side of the resurrection, and they're in Galilee now. So the text says, and Jesus came and said to them, and them being the 11 disciples, because by now Judas is dead. So when Jesus came and said to them, and he said this, he said, all authority, all, does all mean some, y'all? No, all means all. The Bible says all. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. And then he says, go. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe some? No, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Y'all, that is the marching orders for a Christ follower. And it is not difficult. It's not some big formula. It doesn't take seven PhDs to understand and to get that. It doesn't take seven PhDs to do it, right? So we see three things in those couple of verses. We see a person, we see a command, and we see a promise. And so the person, this person we see there uh, is Jesus, and he's got all authority, all authority, heavenly. He's got all heavenly authority. He's got all earthly authority. And, I mean, you think about it. He had just run out of a grave alive after going into the grave dead, so he's got street cred to speak into our lives, right? If you saw a dead guy go into a grave and a big rock rolled up, and then three days later you saw the same guy that went in there dead come out alive, I think he's got the credibility to speak something, y'all, into our lives. And so all authority. And I believe what Jesus is doing here before laying down the command is he's laying down a foundation for the success of the mission that is the command. And well, how's that, you ask? You ask? So y'all say, how's that? One, two, three. How's that, you ask? And it is because their success, the people who he's speaking to, their success is built on the fact that the commander has all authority. The commander has every bit of authority. And that is a mission-critical um, way to look at this. It is super important because, look, without Christ's authority, the disciples' mission 2,000 years ago and all of your and my mission today is just doomed to fail. So the uh, first importance here is that, that Christ is the cornerstone he is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of it all. He's the pillar upon which the house is built. He's the solid, firm foundation. So he is the cornerstone. And then now we see, so he's, this is the person that this is talking about. Now then we see the command. And the command is pretty black and white, verse 19. 
It says, go, go, go and make disciples of all nations, not some nations, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so Jesus' main focus at the end of, of the Gospel of Matthew is on the task of all believers, all of us, you, me, all, you're watching online if you're a believer, it's this task to duplicate ourselves wherever it is that we are. At the heart of our mission, at the heart of the mission of the, of the early church, it is reproducing, y'all hear this now, it is reproducing in other people what Jesus has produced in us. What is that? It's faith. It's a bunch of stuff. It's faith and it's obedience and it's growth and it's compassion and it's love and it's a servant's heart and it's a bold, truthful message as his witnesses. And if you take all those six or seven things, stir them up in a pot, it is, those words are making disciples. Y'all, a disciple ought to look and think and act and see things like the teacher. Well, who's the teacher? Ed? No. Richard? No. Susan? No. Whitney Veneziani? No. No, the teacher, y'all, is Jesus. I just said that he is the foundation, that he is the cornerstone, that he's the pillar that everything is built on. So Jesus is the teacher. So a disciple, here's what a disciple is. A disciple does his or her best to imitate Christ. That's what a Christian is. Be a little Christ. Imitate him. Imitate him. Well, how, how do you do that? Well, first of all, you dig into this word. You dig into this word, and it paints an image of him. So we're to make disciples. And to be a disciple, you got to be a Christian. First and foremost, you can't be a disciple if you're not a Christian. So you got to be saved first of all. But Jesus tells his guys here. He says it doesn't stop at a profession of faith. It's got to begin there, right? It's got to begin there. But, but it doesn't stop at the profession of faith. He tells them, you got to baptize folks. And you got to teach them. And you got to teach them everything that I've spent the last three years teaching you. He says he wants them to teach all the nations to observe all the things that he had commanded them over that three-year period. So he tells them to reproduce. I'm going to be a real little redundant. He tells them, reproduce in those people what I brought to the table for you. That's what he says. And what is that? It's faith and it's obedience and it's growth and it's compassion and it's love and it's a servant's heart and it's a bold, truthful message as his witnesses. And so the model that he really gives us, y'all, is to reproduce reproducers. Can y'all, does that make sense? To reproduce reproducers. And so church on the trail should be this, I get these crazy images in my mind, but our church should be a machine, like a bunch of gears going on and people walk in the door and, and it, is a, it is a machine that is not just leading people to the foot of the cross, not just leading people into a saving relationship with Christ. It begins there. Can y'all say that? It begins there, but it doesn't end there, y'all. 
So the machine should, yes, of course, lead people to the foot of the cross. Of course, lead people into a relationship with the Lord. But it's not just that. And then it's not just producing disciples. But it should be a machine that's churning out disciple makers. Just churning them out, one after the next. Saved, disciple, disciple maker. That is the model. That's the model. So we see a person, we see a command, and then lastly, we see a promise in Matthew 28. Here's the promise, y'all. The promise is this. He says, when you're making disciples in your living room, when you're making disciples on the golf course, when you're making disciples out in the streets of Columbus, when, you, when you're making disciples in every continent and in every culture across the planet, when you're baptizing folks, when you're teaching everything that I've taught and that I've commanded you, when you're doing all of that while you're doing that, and oh, by the way, it may not be easy sometimes. Maybe it's not easy often, right? But he says, you can't do that on your own. You can't do that in your own power and in your own strength. And then in verse 20, he says, but behold, behold, listen to me. That's what he's saying. Listen to what I'm saying. While you're doing all that, don't you ever forget that I will be with you. Don't you ever forget that I will never leave you. Don't you ever forget that I will never forsake you. What does he say? Verse 20, and behold, I am with you always. Always doesn't mean biweekly, right? Always doesn't mean uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Always means always. I will be with you always to the end of the age. When you get saved, y'all, the Holy Spirit is with you always. Like there is nothing better. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit empowers you, and the Holy Spirit can, can give you words to say um, when you're in a conversation with somebody. The Holy Spirit can impress upon you like how to act and how to think and how to look and how to see things. It's, a different, it's like putting on a different set of, of glasses and seeing the world through this prism of the Trinity. That's what, that's what that, those little six or seven words in verse 20 mean. I'm with you always. Now I want you to see what happened just several weeks later at Pentecost. So Jesus has risen from the grave, right? He's risen, and now he's ascended to the right hand of the Father in Acts chapter 1. And now Acts chapter 2, chapter 2, we see the birth of the church. That song, King of Kings, talks about the birth of the church. Um, Peter, the Apostle Peter pre preaches, I believe, some of the very most impactful words in all of Scripture other than the words of Christ himself. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 40. I'm not going to read that. I want you all to write that down if it's not in your worship guide. I can't remember if it is or isn't. Acts chapter 2, 14 through 40 is P uh, Peter's sermon at Pentecost. It's the message at Pentecost, Peter lays out the gospel, crystal clear now, lays the gospel out, anointed message. God chose to use Peter to preach the very first, you know, what did Peter preach? He preached a dead, a dead man walking, and that was the very, really the first time that was ever preached. 
So what was the result of that message? What was God going to do with this first, this first real um, gospel-centered, Jesus-centered message? Look at verse 41. It's at the end of that, that sermon that Peter preaches at Pentecost. Bible says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people got saved when Peter preached the gospel for the first time. Y'all, that's the birth of the church. You just witnessed the church of Christ was born in Acts 2.41. Right there at Pentecost, weeks after the resurrection, the Lord uh, gives birth to his church. He chose in his sovereignty to create a living, breathing, growing, multiplying body to accomplish throughout history to get done what he chooses and chose to get done. It's the church that, that the Lord chose to use. The very next verse in Acts 2, verse 42, serves um, sort of as a one-sentence summary of what this newly restored, this newly uh, redeemed, this newly reconciled, this newly saved faith community sort of looks like. You could substitute any of those words in a newly restored, newly saved, newly reconciled. What that new community of faith, what it looks like. Look at verse 42. It says, and they, dev they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the, and, and the prayers. And, and so who is the they? Well, the they in verse 42 is, is the folks that just gave their life to Christ and the few that had already done that. The few Christ followers that existed, plus those 3,000, those people that just got saved. So guys, in a nutshell, that's the template. That's the template for doing church. Now Luke's going to give us a little more detail in several verses later, but I want you to look at verse 42 first. Is it on the screen? Yeah. Four descriptors in verse 42. Number one is this, what they devote themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So there is the teaching of the word of God going on. There's the learning of the word of God going on. And then there's the applying of the word of God in people's lives going on. So there's, there's teaching and there's learning and there's applying. And if there's no teaching, there can't be no learning or no, no application. But if there's no application to the lives of the people that hear the word, then it's just knowledge for the sake of knowledge and that's meaningless. So there's, there's the preaching slash teaching and then the learning and the application. And then number two, they had fellowship. They were together. Fellowship is just sharing our lives with each other, doing life together, loving on one another, praying for one another, praying with one another, edifying each other, not tearing each other down, correcting one another, yeah, when, when necessary, holding people accountable, holding people accountable, but with love and, and, and with compassion, building one another up, bearing each other's burdens, exhorting one another, giving to one another, serving one another and serving with each other and praying for each other. God's design, y'all, is for people to be together. 
God's design is for his children to be together. And it's for his children to play well together. That's his design. What's Satan's design? It's the opposite of that, to isolate us from each other. That's what God's design is for us to be together, and Satan is running around the world trying to get us isolated, right? You don't have to go to church. You don't have to go stay in your pajamas and watch online, and that's okay. That's okay for now, but that is not a permanent answer to what's going on. It's not. We need to be together. God's children need to be together. We're better together. We're better serving together. We're better serving each other. Satan wants you to be uh, consumed with yourself. God wants you to serve each other. There's a difference, is there not, between serving each other and being consumed with yourself. You notice here it is important to God that we be involved in each other's lives. That is when, in the Greek, the word is koinonia. If you've ever heard that word. That is when there's koinonia, and it's translated here fellowship. When the body of Christ is together in the south, we would say good stuff happens. When we're together, good stuff happens. And then number three is this, breaking bread together. Breaking bread, Acts 2.42. The focal point of the fellowship is breaking bread together in their homes, verse 46 tells us. In context, breaking bread is referring to communion and sharing meals together. It's fellowshipping around communion and around the dinner table. Conversations, good conversations happen around the dinner table. Baby, pass me the SpaghettiOs. Good conversations happen when Susan passes me the SpaghettiOs. Y'all, I eat SpaghettiOs. I know that's probably weird, but I eat SpaghettiOs. And do you know the odd thing? If you've been to Publix lately, like they're out of SpaghettiOs. Like coronavirus caused a run in SpaghettiOs. I don't like even know. I'm sorry, I went down this, this trail. My point is this. Relationships, y'all, they blossom around the table. Relationships get cemented and develop around the table when we're just hanging out with each other. So breaking bread together. And then fourthly is prayer. Prayer. Praying together. Praying for each other. Lifting each other up. Listen, lifting up praises to the Lord in community is powerful. Powerful. Thanking God together for what he's done and what he's doing in community it is powerful. Asking for, for him to move a mountain together. Y'all, it's powerful, powerful stuff. So there it is. Being bought in to solid teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread together, and to prayer. And then verse 46 and 7 give us a little more detail. The Bible says, And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being, what? Saved. And so with these things that we've kind of talked about so far today, we see this guy, this God-man Jesus Christ, with all authority in heaven and on earth, who commissions us to go make disciples, and then he promises to do it alongside of us, to be there with us when we're doing it. And then we see how God um, births and commissions this organism that we call the church. And so these are the whys that I started this off with at the beginning. We see all of that, 
and y'all, it ought to influence and it ought to affect the way that we do church in 2020. It just should. And so that's, I want to talk now about the what's. What are some of, and this may be a little mechanical, but it's all because of the why's. I want to talk about the what's. What are some of the changes, y'all, that we're making in light of Jesus' command to make disciples, to reproduce reproducers, to make disciple makers. So a couple of months ago, maybe three months ago now, um, the last five months in my brain are like this hazy fuzz of what did we do for the last five or six months. But two or three or four months ago, Richard and I started this conversation brainstorming about this very subject. And my friend Lonnie said to me, you can't expect what you, what you don't inspect. That's got to be military jargon. Is that military jargon? You can't expect what you don't inspect. So I wish somebody had told me that like 35 years ago. So we started inspecting, Richard and I entered this conversation, we started inspecting how we do things around here. Really, ultimately, how we do everything that we do. And I, have to confess, I had to confess to Richard that, that I had done, at least I felt, a pretty poor job in leading the charge in some of the areas that we were looking at. And so we began by, by answering the question, what is the purpose of a church? Like, that's a fair question. What is the purpose of a church? And we believe that the purpose of a church is right there to glorify, worship, and enjoy God, representing Christ through evangelistic outreach, discipleship, social concern, fellowship, and holiness. As it relates to discipleship, I want to spend some time talking about some of the changes that we've made in the way that we see church on the trail fulfilling the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Christ's words in Matthew 28 to make disciples. How do we see our church family fulfilling that? The biggest change is really not a change, it's an addition. It's an addition, and they're called life groups. Life groups. Y'all, there are so many passages, so many passages in the Scripture, and I'm going to call them one another passages. There's so many. Romans 12 says we're members one of another. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, we fervently love one another. In Romans 13, we love one another. In Hebrews 3, uh, encourage and build, we're to encourage and build one another up. In James 5, pray for one another. In Colossians 3 and verse 13, we bear the burdens of one another. Three verses later, we teach one another. Well, I could go on and on and on. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of different scripture that tells us about doing life together. And so here's what a life group is. It is not a growth group. It is not a growth group. Do not confuse those two. A life group is not a growth group. A life group ought to be the lifeblood of our church. It almost ought to be like a mini church, a little church inside of the big church inside of the mothership or something, I don't know. But it ought to be like a little mini church. And here's our expectation, is that every single person that would call this place home would be in a life group. If you're watching online and you call this home, you should be in a life group. We expect everybody in the church to be in a life group. And so I want you to, can you see 
I want you to I want to paint a picture so that you can see how this resembles the church in Acts 2.42. Fellowship, 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 fellowship. There's five components of a life group. Number one, breaking bread together. There's just something about sharing a meal together. Like, I don't know, I don't understand it. Hanging out together, eating together, and you don't have to eat SpaghettiOs. You could with meatballs or Franks or something, but you share a meal together. You sit around the table and you talk and you hang out with each other. Component number one. Component number two is worship and prayer. You praise God together as a group. You pray for each other. You pray for, for a church on the trail. You pray for other churches in Columbus. You pray, and you pray together. Part of that is that's a, a, a kind of a bearing of each other's burdens. So you break bread together. You pray together. And then there's, a, there's a, a word component of it, a word component of a life group. It is not a Bible study. It is not a Bible study. It is not a growth group. But what is the umbrella by which all of the life groups exist? And it's the umbrella of Christ. So it's the umbrella of the word. So there's a, there's a word component of it. 15, 20 minutes of discussion about maybe the week before's table talk that is in the worship guide, so that everybody, every life group is kind of discussing the same thing. But it's not a Bible study. It's devotionally discussion about the, typically the message the week before. But then there's a witness component. There's an evangelistic component to it. Invite friends. Invite your neighbor. It's a whole lot easier for your neighbor who is not a Christian to say yes to come have a hamburger with me than to say yes to will you come to my church with me? Am I right or wrong? It's a whole lot easier to do that. And so that is, there's, a, there's an invite, a witness, an evangelistic component of the life groups. Invite them to come hang out. Just invite them to come hang out. So that's a big part of this, of the life group. Um, just because it's easier for people to say yes to that. And here's what we know, y'all. Done enough times, done enough times, some number are going to say yes, and done enough times, some number of those yeses, you know where they'll land? They'll land right there. And then we're doing what we're supposed to do. We're fulfilling the Great Commission because some number of them, and yeah, I don't know what your batting average is going to be. Boy, that sounded terrible. I don't know. Some of you will, will hit 400. You know, some of you will hit 150. I don't have a clue. But you know what? I'd rather have 150 out of 1,000 that say yes than zero out of 1,000 that say yes. And I'm not even talking about saying yes to coming to your house. I'm talking about saying yes to the Lord when he pricks their heart. Some number, it's going to happen. But you have to ask. And I know for you asking to come have dinner with us, is even easier than asking someone to come to church. So it's an easier question and it's an easier answer. Does that make sense? And then the last component is multiplication because the goal, like what was the goal of the Great Commission? It was to grow the kingdom of God. Pretty clearly, to grow the kingdom of God. So the goal in this is to grow the kingdom of God by multiplying the life groups. They're going to be capped at about 16 people. And when we get, you know, however that plays itself out, we want them to split. 
because the goal is to grow the kingdom, play our little part in growing the kingdom by multiplying life groups. Every life group leader ought to have in their mind the next life group leader that would be spawned from that. Every life group is going to meet one time a month on the third Sunday evening of the month, and they're going to start in September. And so the commitment, y'all, if you're watching online, if you're sitting here, the commit, you're committing one, one Sunday evening a month plus coming to church on Sunday mornings, but you're committing to one Sunday evening a month. Now, forgive me if this comes out wrong, but if you can't commit to one Sunday evening a month to hang out with your church family, that's a problem. Like, that's a problem because you're going to grow. The people you're in community with are going to grow, and more people, the kingdom's going to grow. More people are going to come to know the Lord because of doing this. There is no doubt. So I'm going to tell you, you can sign up today out here at the Connections desk, and you'll be able to sign up online by the end of our worship today. And the website's getting worked on. You're going to go to the growth groups page, but that's where it's going to be. Um, and you're just going to sign up. Your leaders, you can flip to the next slide. Initially, these are your leaders, your life group leaders. Mike and Whitney Veneziani, and the leaders didn't know I was putting their pictures up there because I got the pictures off Facebook. I'm just being truthful with you. Last night, I looked at Susan. I said, oh, my gosh, I forgot to put the pictures in there. So who's the old guy with Patty? Oh, that's Lonnie. Um, Mike and Whitney Veneziani, uh, Lonnie and Patty Freeman, Richard and Rhonda Moore, Heather and Lynn Orenstein, Kyle and Courtney Williams, and Ben and Maria Faust. That's your life group leaders to begin with, and it'll grow. I mean, it'll grow. There's no doubt that it'll grow. Um, and, and we're not, you know, we're not dictating where you, you know, whose group you want to be in. You, we live in America. We're libertarian. You get to choose. And you, so you just sign up for somebody's group, um, but sign up for somebody's group. Um, again, Acts 2, and day by, this is verse 46, and day by day. Attending the temple together. So yes, y'all, they went to church together. And breaking bread in their homes. So yes, they were together in their homes. They were in church together. They were in each other's homes together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. So yes, they shared meals together. Verse 47, praising God. So yes, they praised the Lord and they worshiped him and they prayed. And having favor with all the people. So yes, y'all, they hung out together. And they had fellowship. All the people, broken people, messed up people, imperfect people, sinful people, rich people and poor people and black and yellow and green and white and all kinds of different people. I don't want to hear anybody say, well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not good enough to that. No, that is Satan trying to isolate you. This, has no, this, this is not a demographics thing. All the people were together. All the people. And when all the people are praising him and worshiping him all under the umbrella of his word and we're all doing and studying and doing all this stuff together, good stuff happens. What does the end of verse 47 say? And the Lord added to their number. Day by day, those who were being saved. Y'all, you want the kingdom to grow? Lock arms with each other. Lock arms and lead people to Christ. That's why we exist. One Sunday evening a month. 
one Sunday evening a month, I promise you God will do crazy stuff with it. He will blow your minds with what will happen with that. So life groups, doing life together. Doing life together. And then growth groups. Two kinds of growth groups. Free market growth groups, cot-driven growth groups. Free market growth groups are Bible study, a, a, a book study on, you know, a book Priscilla Shire wrote or Kelly Mentor wrote or, or Ravi Zacharias wrote or, or I don't know, whoever. You want to study the book of Ephesians. That, those are growth, those are, are, are free market growth groups. And then we have cot-driven growth groups. You know, like we're going to, Heather Ornstein, for example, is going to teach Jesus and women is the name of the, the study. And I can't remember who wrote it, but Jesus and women. There's four or five women's growth groups that are going that are these free market growth groups. I teach a Matthew study on Thursday nights. And, you know, just different, uh, Lonnie, Lonnie Freeman facilitates a breakfast club on Friday mornings studying Romans. So those are free market growth groups. But then cot-driven growth groups. And these are groups that we feel are so important that they will just continuously run. There's really three. It doesn't take two hands to say three. Did y'all see what I did? Three. Financial peace is going to be one. It's Dave Ramsey, financial peace. Uh, Kyle Williams is going to be, and Kyle and Courtney are going to be facilitating financial peace. It's going to be a marriage Probably going to be Tony Evans' kingdom marriage. It's going to be a marriage growth group. And then starting point, it's not the name of the curriculum, so to speak, but, but it's a starting point. For example, that group is a foundational group that's focused on the fundamentals of the Christian faith because this is where my heart is. My heart is so there, and this is where I feel like I have failed. And that is when someone either says yes to salvation or somebody who said yes years ago kind of lived a different life for 20 years and is coming back and wants to understand what the Christian faith is, what, what, what am I supposed to believe and why, that's starting point. It's probably going to be a curriculum called Fundamentals of the Faith. So it's for anybody, that class, is for any, anybody, and Lynn Ornstein is going to teach that one, is for anybody that is, that is reasonably new in a walk with Jesus, anybody who just wants to know and understand about the basics, uh, fundamentals of, of the Christian walk, or somebody who is not a, a believer, but they're searching honestly, honestly searching for the truth and just want to know what Christianity is all about. That's the three people like that, for example, that little course. So those are the growth groups, and growth groups are going to, you know, we're going to have a rally day kind of thing in a few weeks, um, and so we'll be rolling the growth groups out. The last thing that I want to talk about today is this, and this is what we're calling leadership. Le the model, y'all, that the Gospels give us on leadership is that Jesus spent three years pouring into a dozen guys so that those dozen, those guys could then turn around and go change the world with his story. It's not like the cross snuck up on him. He's training them up. He told them a thousand times, I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be here. And so they hung out with him 
for three years, and he trained them up, and he poured into them so they could go change the world. So Susan and I are going to lead a group that will probably meet about every six or seven or eight weeks, and that group will be every staff member in the church, every growth group leader, every life group leader, every elder, and every ministry leader because I feel that's another place where I failed in the last two years. We want to pour into the leadership of the church. We want to pour into them, and we want to, to help feed them. And Peter, the Apostle Peter, sort of the leader of Jesus' guys. And so uh, Jesus tells Peter, I was reading the Gospel of John this week, end of Gospel of John in chapter 21. Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend to my sheep. He tells him that three times in John 21 because Jesus knows that this group of men that he has raised up, Jesus himself raises this group of men up, and he knows that they need somebody to shepherd them. And so he tells Peter, tend to my sheep, feed them, so that not just so that they can be Bible smart or something, but so that they can go play their role in fulfilling the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28. What happens? Those guys plus Paul, the whole, just boom, they go out all over Asia, all over the Middle East, and in just a matter of years, millions of people know Christ. That is what we feel super called to do with the leadership in our church. And it'll be a time of rejuvenating. It'll be a time of recharging. And it'll be a time to feed the leaders in the church. It'll be time to feed the leadership of the church. So that's kind of what we're talking about, y'all. And this is a biblical model. This is what the scripture tells us to do. It is a model of the church in, in the book of Acts. It's the model that the Word gives us, right? We are better together. If you only take two words away from today, we are better together. That's God's design. What is Satan's design? What did I say? It is to isolate you. Isolation is not good. It's not. Depression increases. Anxiety increases. When you're isolated, we're better together, y'all. We're better together. What is our purpose as a church? You know, Acts tells us, be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Break bread together. Have fellowship together and prayer. And what happens? The Lord added day by day the people that do what? Get saved. He adds day by day the number of people that get saved, y'all. And what is like saved from what? Saved from what? Saved from sin. Ultimately saved from the pit of hell, y'all. What is that like? What does that mean? That means your shame can't accuse you anymore. It means that your guilt is washed away. The condemnation is done away with. Your sin is put as far as the east is from the west. This song that the worship team is about to sing, about to lead us in, there's a line in it that says that Jesus overwhelmed the grave. Did I word that right? Yeah. He overwhelmed 
like that imagery, y'all, he overwhelmed the grave. You know what I see when I think about he overwhelmed the grave? I see Herschel Walker running over Bill Bates in 1981. I see Bo Jackson running over Brian Bosworth at the goal line. I see Michael Jordan just dunking nasty on top of somebody. Right? I have all these those kind of images because he overwhelmed the grave. Think about that. From death to life, that's what he brings to us. You were dead, the Bible says, and now you're made alive. And dead doesn't mean sick. Dead means dead. And he makes us alive. We're alive in Christ. So that's what we're, we're saved from that death. Y'all, and all it is, all it is, is I repent of my sin and I believe that he died on that cross to take care of that sin. And I just ask him, Lord, save me right now. Put me in your, in your household of faith. Lord, let me be a, one of your children. And then you plug in but you know what? The plug-in is not required for salvation either. Repent and believe, and then hopefully you'll want to plug-in, and hopefully you'll want to grow, and hopefully you'll want to dig into the Scripture. All of those are manifestations of salvation. Those are all evidences of salvation. That's a rabbit trail. Repent and believe. So if y'all would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and if this is you today, and you've never said yes, but God's pricking your heart, I would ask you to simply repent of your sin, believe that he died on the cross to save you, and ask him to save you. Lord, I repent of my sin. Lord, I ask you to save me right now. I believe that you died on that cross. I believe that you ran out of that grave alive. I believe you went in dead, and I believe you ran out alive. And that 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 overwhelming the grave is just proof. So Lord, save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Last thing I want to tell you is if that's you today, if that's you today, let us know on a connection card. Let us know that, uh, that you were saved. Stick it in one of those boxes Richard talked about. If you have a prayer concern, let us know on there. Our prayer team is back in this corner. They would love to pray with you. They would love to pray with you. They would love to talk with you about anything. Salvation, of course, yes. But anything, any prayer concern, I, I invite you to go talk to them.